politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Adam! Travis? Yes? What's going on this week? Well... A major snack manufacturer in the UK got hit by ransomware. And I care why. Well, it's more about the uh, group behind it, the Conti Ransomware Group, which has been on a bit of a spree of late. Conti, like the Italian singer Conti? Uh, C-O-N-T-I. Yeah. That's just nuts. Oh, that was one of the snacks. (laughs) Peanut, hazelnut, cashew nut, macadamia nut. That was the one that was sent her (laughs) into a going crazy she said you stop naming nuts so is that does that mean everybody uh in england is 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 uh snack free right now kind of it's not uh obviously critical infrastructure but it's a good example of how a single company getting taken out by a ransomware attack can lead to these uh, supply chain issues mm, sweet so you have grocery stores in the uk that are now having um supply issues uh logistics and shipping companies are uh, kind of having to sit and wait um until they get it ironed out uh, it's just causing a ripple effect. Hmm. So in other words, snacks have been smacked. Indeed. Candy Crush. What this tells me is what we kind of already have been saying for a while, which is that ransomware is probably alive and well in 2022. Most definitely. A uh, survey just came out about uh, 2021 saying that most companies that got hit with ransomware opted to pay. That's what happens when you let hackers feed off of you. Mm-hmm. Well, but also, I mean, there's there's a whole burgeoning sector in in in, in uh, development right now f- of companies that are specifically there to help pay ransom. Right? Isn't that kind of happening? Absolutely. Right now? Yep. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that, Adam? Well, you know, you have interesting developments as well with governments because you have a lot of governments and law enforcement agencies that are moving toward the concept that it would become illegal to pay ransomware because you're supporting criminal activity. But what do you do when you're a company? Let's say, for instance, you're a healthcare organization. Yeah. And in a matter of hours, you've been reduced to pencil and paper. And meanwhile, you have patients who are most likely at least have some patients who are critical and need attention now, and you need to know what's going on with them. Well, there's actually been litigation uh, filed, I believe, uh, in the case of someone who died as a result of a hospital being hit with ransomware and delaying payment. Well, that that takes us back to this new idea of uh, killware, you know, any kind of hack that leads to a fatality. I'm just wondering if if it, I mean, I, I'm asking you, I'm asking the Adam who has a JD, 
got to ask you a question, Lawyer Adam. Is it is is that defensible that to make a, paying a ransom illegal in the service of of uh, keeping your business afloat? Would that float in court? I don't know, man. I think it shouldn't be illegal. That's me. Let's take a straw vote. I don't think it should be illegal to pay a ransom if your company's on the line. Travis, what do you think? I'd agree with that. Adam? I concur. Yeah. But that being but that being said, there is an argument to be made that if you continue to pay, they will continue to prey on, on innocent victims. And what's worse is that in, in many cases, this money is going toward what's deemed by many governments to be terrorist-related activity. Yeah, well, that's the slippery slope, yeah. That's, that's the part of the iceberg you don't see. Right. There's also another dimension to it as well um, that I thought was interesting. Uh, the Kronos Group, which makes uh, workforce management software, they got hit with ransomware back in uh, December 2021, and they're actually getting hit with lawsuits from their clients because they were taken offline. So... Tesla, Pepsi, New York transit workers are all suing them because they're losing productivity um, because they aren't able to fulfill their um, wage reporting. And then meanwhile, I can I just have this vision of Paolo Conti, the singer, singing, It's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, <laughs> my be with my baby. I mean, it's just, that was, I apologize to anyone who likes Paolo Conti. But for me... You have these hackers out there that are doing whatever the hell they want, kind of Mad Max style, but online. And there's no answer to them yet. Nothing. I can't, like, someone give me some good news about this. What, you know, in the tell me something good department, what's happening to stem the tide of all these ransomware attacks and, you know, the business around it and people paying up, all that. Is there is there any good news? Well, law enforcement has become far more active than before than far more aggressive than before. You do see more prosecutions. We've actually seen cases also where law enforcement has gone in and found a way to claw back money that was taken as a result of ransomware attacks. That's fascinating. But at the same point, it's still like a trickle compared to the tsunami yeah. of ransomware attacks and the kind of money that's been flowing toward the, the hacker community. Yeah. But the, you know, the problem for the good guys is that this thing works for the bad guys. It really works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. It's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. Good luck, my baby. It's wonderful, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. I dream of you, chips. Welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam Levin. Baron of the Backup, Prince of the Password, Count of the Data Compromise, and Earl of Endpoint Security. Whoa. I'm Bo, and I got nothing to add to that. And I'm Travis, Cyber Stable Boy. <laughs> Nay. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works, not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing, and I need to make split-second financial decisions, and that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks, and I trade options, and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. 
Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means you get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes dot com. Adam, welcome. Great to meet you. So what can you tell us about yourself? So I live in uh, central Ohio area. We're currently under a few inches of snow. Um, but uh, yeah, I've lived here most of my life and... Uh, and what do you do, Adam? What do you do in Ohio? Um, well, other than shoveling snow, I uh, work for a company that does uh, IT services for other companies. So companies that normally would be too small or too spread out to have their own IT department might hire my company to come in and basically be their IT. Um, we integrate a lot more tightly than a lot of companies in that similar types of fields. Um, but it, uh, it gives me the opportunity to be both an outside consultant, but also kind of an inside person at these companies and have that access. One thing I think is always sort of uh, fascinating about IT workers or just the IT industry in general is that people come from so many different backgrounds. Um, how did you get involved? Uh, I'm actually a second generation nerd. Uh, my parents, uh, both were, uh, computer, uh, engineers, programmers, um, my mother finished up her career uh, being flown around the world by a major petroleum company to teach uh, employees of the company how to use her uh, back-end management system that she'd written for them. Uh, my father actually worked on some of the first uh, bank uh, computer systems that uh, Chase Manhattan at the time um, built. So now with the with the little with the little cards with the holes in it, or was it? <laughs> oh yeah, full punch cards, tape. Uh, I have I have very vivid memories of, as a young boy, wrapping up our uh, newspaper recycling with discarded uh, magnetic backup tape. Amazing. Dad would bring it home and we would use it to tie up the recycling. I remember those. Amazing. Do you, 
do you find that a lot of the IT people that you're communicating with that are in-house are reaching the point of being overwhelmed? Oh, I think they were there five, ten years ago. Um, you know, I, I have a whole, I have a whole separate talk that I give to clients and pro and and business communities about, you know, look when when IT started, when it started existing for small businesses, unless you were Chase Manhattan, late '90s, early 2000s, most companies started getting like the little gray boxes in. Um, and start using them for their banking or whatever. Um, but it was no big deal. If if the floppy drive died on the computer and it took the computer repairman a week to get out there, uh, it didn't matter because you still had all the paper copies, everything was good. And through the 2000s and the 2010s, more and more processes have gone onto the computer. And so we're no longer at a situation where if the computer goes down, you can still do anything. But most company owners, I think, are still in that mindset of if the computer's broken, I can still do it the paper way. You're you are providing uh, to these companies the the cybersecurity that they can't possibly have on their own, and testing and making sure that they're okay. I'm wondering. Um, in your work, there's no way that you haven't spoken to some hackers in your day and some scammers. So, are there modalities they use that? are sticky that that get people to to take an action um like for me i i think that uh i've been gotten like once or twice in the past 12 months by by something where i was like oh and i went for it and then i caught myself but it was still um it was it was a good very good lure they sent my way and i consider myself a trout not a bass like not the easiest fish to catch but like so what's out there and what are, are is there such a thing as a fish that's smart enough not to get caught i mean i've been caught yeah um i've been i've been caught to the point where i put credentials in and had to backpedal really quickly and rotate some things yeah um just because i wasn't you know i was distracted that's what they're counting on it's a volume thing um and I think there's a big, there is a misconception that every scam starts with, you know, dear friend, kindly run the attached file so that I can give you a million dollars. Also, you know, we like to talk about on the show the fact that, you know, we all have day jobs, whatever the day job may be, but that for a hacker or a scammer, we are their day job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, they and have we no are legion and they like there's so they're like like throwing gill nets into like the sea of us yeah i mean it's a uh it is a, a numbers game uh it has never been cheaper or easier for them to use it as a numbers game with the way that these uh software packages to to spread these scams and the malware and things like that have been commercialized okay now let's put a pin in that what our listeners aren't all going to know what those software packages are are you saying that criminals have their own software criminals have their own software industries yeah they're uh the groups, i knew the answer to that i just wanted to i know you it was <laughs> i still think it's a, <laughs> you mean to it's say just just showing off Bo. oh showing my off. gosh oh, my mind. mind is blown me showing off Hey, And by the way, for those of our listeners who are still trying to figure out what the heck the word modality means. Oh, come on. You could say tactic, fashion, phraseologies, whatever. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're not an IT security professional, which I suspect most people in the world aren't. Yeah. 
in uh, uh, about uh, seven or eight years ago, a bunch of the better uh, ransomware hackers and software developers realized that they could make more money selling the software that they wrote to do the hacks than actually doing the hacking. So uh, if you know the right people or the wrong people and you go on the dark web, you can pay some Bitcoins and you can have your own little software package that is is very easy. Uh, I've seen some screenshots. It's very user friendly. Uh, it'll spin up the ransom website for you. It'll help you create the applications to send out. It'll help you with templates to send emails to try and lure people in. They have tech support. Uh, they even have uh, margin-based pricing for scam groups that are are too poor to afford the upfront cost. Uh, so it's ransomware as a service. They just pay a percentage of their take upstream and uh, off you go. I think one of the uh, weirdest things I've seen from that are uh, ransomware gangs on the dark web doing sales pitches for their software. Oh, I hear one coming now. Hello, I have for you wonderful turnkey package. <laughs> For you to own your own company without owning your own company. <laughs> MLM in the world of scams. It's, it's very oh, meta. Man. Wait, so this is the thing where Adam, uh, I know he, this is, he does this on the weekends because he's a little short on money these days. Um, he's been working for this ransom as a service company where he just helps people get the Bitcoin where it's going and stuff. You've been, have you been doing pretty well with that, right, Adam? I, well, you paid me a lot last month, so therefore, <laughs> yes, it works. That was Travis, actually. I had nothing oh, to do with it. Okay. <laughs> well, as, so, lest we digress. Yes. So, so Adam, Travis actually introduced you to us. So how did you and Travis meet? Yes. And is there a scam? There, well, I mean, I, I guess technically there was a scam. Um, so I, uh, I, I, like several million of the rest of us, I'm a Redditor, and... Uh, I've actually been following some scam rings on Reddit for a while. Um, if you've seen those lovely scammy posts with mugs and shirts drop shipped with ripped off art graphics, that kind of thing. Uh, I've been following them for a while. So they were kind of an, an interesting uh, side trip for me um, and ended up in our scams. Uh, and then I saw the, the post that you had put up asking about people who are interested in, in coming on. I thought, hmm, that could be a fun conversation to have see Bo. someone reads our posts oh travis you did it now travis now if they, what if they can just rate us no anyway. oh come on <laughs> leave them alone for a second uh tra travis now i know you've been looking around reddit for a long time and i don't go in there anymore because they all throw stuff at me and they hate me on reddit but um it's not true i just don't really understand reddit because i'm not a digital native as you can see i'm 85 years old and i was last time i was around a campfire I was with moses in the burning bush but the but you're still <laughs> annoying so therefore that's good. <laughs> but I would reddit say, is very much its own adam just yeah. the, our guest adam just nodded that i was annoying now i'm really going to just <laughs> bury my head um i, I was I, going to say being annoying doesn't disqualify you from being on reddit from what i can no. tell finding me annoying makes you us makes you our friend um no, so. also just so, so you know adam Bo is the barneys of interviewing which is why use one word when you can use 30 so anyway that and one of them sad. will be modalities 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 so listen back to listen i bet you that adam uses the word modalities when he's on reddit with people who are interested in scams 
Come on, Adam. True or false? It might even be in one of my PowerPoints. I, I'm not going to disclose that. Bang! <laughs> really? <laughs> in your face, Levin. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rope's got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So you, you have a story, as I understand it, that comes by way of the same gang that hit the Colonial Pipeline, or at least the same ransomware as a service. Yes, uh, uh, Darkside. So, and I, I didn't make the connection until quite a while afterwards, actually. I was reviewing that, the material. But uh, the, the gang that, that attacked the Colonial Pipeline company and, uh, and caused a lot of panic for a few weeks um, called Darkside, uh, which was one of the, the companies that is using that software or ransomware as a service. Um, they didn't write that software. They bought it from another company. Um, but they were the ones that, that were weaponizing it. Colonial Pipeline paid nearly $5 million in ransom to hackers who infiltrated their system, which led to the shutdown. That sparking panic buying and massive outages. So about a month before the Colonial Pipeline's attack, we had a client who... Uh, who themselves uh, suffered a ransomware breach, um, which is actually fairly rare uh, for my company to have clients with that because of the software that we mandate. But this company had decided that they were going to have this cluster of servers in a cloud provider, and they didn't want us. They didn't want to pay us to manage those servers. They were going to take care of them themselves. Those were ser- cloud cloud servers that were not configured by. Then they had their. They did it themselves. Right, it was their their servers, and this is a large company. Um, they have multiple sub companies. I don't know how many people they have. They have five or six large sub companies that we're providing support for. Um, you know, it's at least a few hundred employees. Um, so not a small organization. They have their own internal IT department that has, I think, four or five full time guys. Um, <clears throat> you know, they're not by any stretch of the imagination um, amateurs. At IT, did they um, not opt to have you fully secure their systems out of uh, budget concerns, or were they just being cocky? Or 
Ah, eh, we're being cheap. Okay. Um, we're not. We're not cheap. Uh, yeah. We don't pretend to be cheap, but we do it right. Uh, and yeah, they they decided that they didn't want to pay us to manage those because they had a good lead on it. They knew what was going on. So anyway, this this company, we'll call them we'll call them Spacely Sprockets. Galaxy, eh? I'll show Spacely I know how to handle big wheels. <laughs> I'll get the contract signed and get back before Janie even misses me. And, and hope you don't get a copyright strike or whatever the trademark version of that is. They had uh, these cloud servers. There were five servers. There was a domain controller, a terminal server, a couple of file servers, and an application server. We didn't have any real visibility on these machines. We didn't have our management agents on them. We couldn't connect to them. They were just kind of off in their own little world. We knew of their existence, but that was basically it. I was actually on call the morning this all started. So conveniently, I fired up my computer seven o'clock in the morning, went through, was checking through tickets, got an alert from our uh, endpoint protection software, antivirus software um, on, on one of our servers that said, hey, it's trapped something. Those are just notification alerts. We don't have to do anything because the software cleans it up for us. Um, it's just a heads up. And about how many of those do you get per day? Is that a uh, sort of all hands on deck when that happens, or do you just no. see hundreds or thousands coming through? No, we don't. We don't actually get alerts on the majority of them. Mm-hmm. Um, this one uh, only popped up an alert because it was coming from another device on the network, rather okay. than coming from like a file or something, you know, external. So the call was uh, coming from inside the house. I think is yeah. The, uh, so <laughs> it still wasn't anything that we had to take any action on. So it was more of a hey, just a heads up kind of thing. I saw them. I was looking through some other tickets. Got uh, right after um, the phone lines went up. I got a phone call from the uh, the internal IT person or one of the internal IT people at at the Spacely Sprockets here, and they said, "Hey, we've had an attack um, on one of our servers in this hosted farm. Um, you know, we just want to make sure that that it gets cleaned up. Call me back, and we'll see if you can help." So. I'm looking at that. I went back and I looked at the other tickets that had come in from our endpoint, and I started to see two, three, four, five more tickets that popped up from the endpoints. Not saying that there had been an infection, but that it had blocked an infection. So, Adam, 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 let me just. So, two things. One, if you could explain to our listeners what endpoint means, and the second thing is, if you could also say what kind of vulnerable information would be on those servers that could okay. be used by the bad guys or at least blocked. Yeah. So the uh, endpoint in nerd means uh, computer. So that means a desktop computer, on, you know, in somebody's office or a server in a server room. Um, in this case, these were all servers because that's what the other servers could talk to. Could it also be a smartphone? It could be anything. I mean, any kind of device that exists on a network is technically an end point, literally an, a point where the network ends. In when you're talk when you hear someone talk about endpoint protection, that's just antivirus that reports centrally. So instead of me having to walk around and check a hundred computers to see if they had any viruses, I can just check one portal. So I was getting these notifications from these antiviruses, and and the servers that are are reporting in are more general purpose servers. So they're um, domain controllers that handle people's usernames and passwords, logons, um, files that the company has. Um, you know, for their internal applications and the products that they make. So pretty sensitive information, it sounds like. Yeah, database servers. Mm -hmm. Um, There were actually a few computers, desktop computers that had 
sent notifications and mostly in the IT department because of the permissions that they had. Um, but we got a, you know, we got a few of those and, and you could see when you, when you started to look at where the links were, you could see that this was coming from this one hosted location and just attempting to push its way across the network. And luckily every site that that hosted location was connected to had that antivirus software on it. So it wasn't really able to spread outside of that. Um, but it completely took over that hosted environment as well as a few of the servers that were not in the environment, but had shares, so files that were available to servers that were in the environment, the contents of those file shares got encrypted. So this was a, a ransomware attack, so. Wow, so you were like, now you're all alarmed. Yeah, so at that point, it was, I hit the, the big red button. I got a hold of our, uh, our technical boss guy, um, as well as all the, a couple of the other senior engineers and our network engineer. And I got everybody on the call and said, Hey, uh, bad things have happened. Um, and we need to make sure that we get it shut down. Well, with the uh, ransomware gangs, I mean, obviously they, uh, once they encrypt your files, their next step is to let you know that they've done it, um, to make their demand. So how did you find out about that? The traditional way of, of getting that ransom uh, is in a, a readme, a text file that's usually left in the folder with the files that have been encrypted. Um, and inside it'll say, ha ha ha, you've been encrypted. We have all of your files. You have to pay us this amount at this place. Um, and uh, in this case, um, they it gave a, an address, uh, an onion site on the Tor network. So uh, what's an onion site just for that? So, yeah. and, but they don't even know what the Tor network is. So. Yeah, and is, okay. the Tor, is the Tor network a tourist spot or no, something? No, no, no. All right. So first an onion site. Go ahead. So, well, I think probably a Tor network is going to be the easier thing to explain first. Well, that is easier. Yeah. The network, yeah. So the, the Tor network is a distributed network uh, that runs on the internet, but is not accessible from a normal browser. Um, it's used by uh, dissidents and uh, people who are working in uh, uh, countries that have governments that are not necessarily the most friendly to freedom of speech. Um, it's used by people who are trying to, um, say, anonymously leak data to a newspaper. Um, yeah, it's used by it's, coders. WikiLeaks people used it. Edward Snowden mm -hmm. used it. It's how the, the marketplaces for all of this uh, uh, ransomware as a service gets sold. It, it's it's a, a fairly, because of the design of the network, it's almost impossible to tell what computer or where the computer is that's on the other side of the connection. And the people on it range from Superman to the worst people on Earth. Literally the worst people on Earth. Yeah, it, it also is full of, as a place that's completely unregulated and anonymous, full of terrible, terrible things. And I don't suggest that you go there without a lot of protection. Not a vacation spot. Not it's a... not, no. It's a here be dragons kind of thing. An onion site is a website that is only accessible on the Tor network. Um, it's called an onion site because it ends in dot onion, ends in dot onion because Tor is built on layers of protection. Uh, so the, the traditional way of getting that ransom is in a, a readme, a text file that's usually left in the folder. So this is the ransom file that was in the in every folder that had encrypted files. 
Your computers and servers are encrypted. Backups are deleted. We use strong encryption algorithms so you cannot decrypt your data. But you can restore everything by purchasing a special program from us. Universal Decryptor. This program will restore all your network. Follow your instructions below and you will recover all your data. <laughs> all right, so you got this thing. Tiny little aside. There have been ransomware uh, packages that have been, uh, that the decryptor has been released for so that anybody can unencrypt their files if they got attacked by it. And there was at least one case where a ransomware group released an unencrypter for another ransomware group. And then they released it like, a, hey, we're being really helpful to help you un unencrypt your files. And what it would do is it would unencrypt the files and then re-encrypt them with the new ransomware group's encryption algorithm. <laughs> Sneaky. And then, yeah, I thought that was very... Entrepreneurial <laughs> hackerism. Very impressive. So clever. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so I went to the, the website. So the, the modern way that these are working is they give you a website on, uh, on Tor that you go to and it lists the ransom and then it gives you ways to pay with various uh, cryptocurrencies. And then there is a chat box that you can type into just like every other good company they have customer support and you can send the messages if you're having a technical problem with paying or you have a question that kind of thing in this case in the process once i'd identified what what ransomware variant this was um i did some research to see if there'd been an there was already an encrypt a d an unencryptor available and uh, and there wasn't it was very new um but what i did see was that they were also stealing data in the process of encrypting files, which is typical now, a little less typical then. Double extortion. Yeah. yeah. And, and ironically, that's actually a direct response to the fact that because of ransomware attacks, companies have gotten much better about having backups because it got... So they have the work. backup and they're like, well, we have it already. And they're like, that's cool. We're selling it. We're going to sell your data if you don't pay up. We don't care if you have a backup. You but then they pay, pay up at them and they sell it anyway. Well, they promise not to. Pinky promise. Mm -hmm. Oh, pinky, the pinky promise. Pinky yeah, promise. The, I love it in the chat support. It says, We didn't download data. We encrypted all you network. It can help you decrypt it back. <laughs> yeah, they're very I just helpful. want to show them my hands and be like, Look, no pinkies. I have yeah. no pinkies. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I the, one of the things that I, I did was I went and I contacted their chat support, which actually got back to me faster than uh, the majority of cable companies I've had to deal with. <laughs> of course and uh, and they they confirmed or well, confirmed air quotes that they hadn't stolen any data which we didn't really believe but was the best that we could do in the meantime we were working on shutting down their links between the different network segments for the company so that if there were any machines that were still infected it couldn't spread further we were killing machines and, and rolling them back with backups and that kind of thing and 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 this may surprise you that uh our, our client decided that they were going to go ahead and have us monitor and install antivirus on all of their computers across their networks coincidentally right after this happened
this particular attack, this particular group uh, was asking for was $9 million, $9 million US dollars in, I believe, uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum. And was this anywhere near a realistic number for this company? So this is a targeted attack. This uh-huh. is part of what makes this fun for me or, or in, more interesting than your normal attack. This was a targeted attack. Uh, that was almost exactly 5% of their annual revenue as listed in public resources. Got you. Now, these guys are like, they're, the hackers have become financial analysts these days. They know how much they can squeeze you by for. And uh, the the executable, the, the program that, that it would try to run to actually create the encryption and reinfect the machine was named, it was spacely sprockets encryptor.exe. So there was no question that this was a targeted attack. Um, it, it kind of is a two-phase setup. So they they send out, um, we're pretty sure it was a bad link on a website. Somebody clicked on and ran a program, infected a machine. They spread this out by the thousands and then thousands and the thousands. Do you have any idea what kind of site it was, where that bad link was? No, it, it's it's tough to tell. We, we were never able to identify the exact machine. We are pretty sure it's one of the machines on that server cluster uh, because if it had come in somewhere else, it would have gotten smacked by the... Oh, anti-virus. I was just wondering if we could narrow down on the <clears throat> modality. But the modality. <laughs> oh, the attack, the modality of the attack vector. <laughs> Adam, did, did this, the, the company that, that you were consulting with, did they have cyber liability insurance? Mm. Uh, they, they did, or hmm. do, I suppose, Was still. it enough? <laughs> well, they didn't pay. They didn't pay. Um... They didn't they pay did, their insurance premium, or they didn't. No, pay they didn't the, pay the ransom. They didn't gotcha. pay the ransom. So, gotcha. so while we were while while I was talking to the 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 ransomers, we were able to revert everything. None of the machines that had our um, antivirus on it got taken down. So we didn't have to worry about those machines. Mm-hmm. The machines that were in this hosted cluster had backup that was adequately protected, so they didn't get the backup too. They were able to roll that back. And they, they think they only lost a few hours worth of work. Looking at the, the logs of when things started to kind of fire up as I did the, the uh, after action investigation, um, it looked like it kicked off around 2.30 a.m. Eastern time. And, uh, you know, the fact that it hadn't spread any farther. I mean, if they hadn't had adequate protection on the majority of their machines, they would have been down, period. Like full down, not producing anything across five companies across a few hundred employees. It kind of sounds like a satisfying I told you so for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Is that common, 2.30 a.m.? Because it does sort of coincide with about post-coffee hour in Moscow. <laughs> I, You know, I, I, I had kind of thought about that a little bit. I think it's just a good time. Of the, it's late enough that, that California is asleep, but it's early enough that the early birds in New York aren't. Or, or still asleep, rather. So the majority, so it's going to be the overnight crew, probably after they've had their third or fourth coffee, they're not really paying as much attention. Um, it's just a good open time to get in there. Yeah. So if it was uh, originally instigated by a click on a website or email or what have you, how did it propagate from there? So from the uh, so from the first machine, from the, the, the point where it was able to penetrate into their network, yeah, the first thing it does is it calls home. It says, hey, I am on this network. Here's all the information that I can see from my little privileged place. To get to that little privileged place on that PC, once it got the first, once the application was running, 
program was running on the computer. Most programs run in an environment where they don't have what's called elevation. They're not an administrator, so they can only kind of see normal files do with normal files. So once it was running in that space, it used a flaw bug in Windows, uh, probably a combination of things to gain elevation, become an administrator. And at that point, it had access to that computer. From that point, it looked in the computer to see who had logged in recently. And it found an administrator. Very common in companies where the domain administrator, who is the, the root user, the boss of all bosses, who can do everything on the network, ends up also being the same guy that comes around and installs your software. Um, so it found that one of those types of users had logged on recently. Um, and it uh, stole what's called a hash, which is a fried potatoes on a grid. No, the wrong hash. It's a, uh, <laughs> it's a unfair uh, is that with pastrami or corn. <laughs> uh, either way. Uh, it's a type of uh, representation of your password. It's not your password. It's not kitty cat one, two, three. It's a long string of numbers that kind of represents it. So it's like an al algorithm, right? It turns it. Yeah. It's, it's doing a bunch of math. That, that creates this number that you can't easily turn back into kitty cat one, two, three. But hashes can be cracked. Hashes can be cracked, but they can also just be hashed, uh, passed off. So the way that Windows authentication works on a network in most situations by default, um, malicious software like this can just literally take that file, make a couple of changes to it, send a special commands to the server and say, hey, I'm this guy. Here's this password. I've already hashed it for you. And they're and in. The and they're in. And Bang. that's what they did. And then from there, they jumped onto the server. And from there, they hit everything else. And so by the time you discovered it, it was a done deal? Yeah. So the first thing that did, and actually they were in the network about, uh, from what I can tell, they were in the network about uh, two to four weeks before the attack actually happened. Mm. Um, so in that period, they're, they're looking across the network to see what they can find. Um, they're figuring out where, who, what this company is, how much the money they're worth, what their contacts are, um, to try and basically decide how they want to squeeze them, how hard they want to squeeze them. So that, that would have been when they found the company's name and how much revenue it was, figured out, hey, this is you know a $9 million company. If they get into Jan's tax service with two employees as a part-time job, then they're still going to encrypt Jan but they may only ask for 20K because they know that that's all she can afford. No, so it's, it's important for people to understand that, that when you're dealing with hackers on many, many levels, uh, these are very smart, sophisticated, persistent people. Absolutely. And, they, and there are hack for every person, there is a scammer. There are scams that are, are you know, literally, hi, I'm the prince of, of Nigeria. I'm going to give you a million dollars that are, you know, to, to, to you and I would say, oh, this is an obvious scam. To most people, they would say, oh, this is an obvious scam. But there are people who will fall for that. There are also people who would trick us. Um, there are people who uh, stole millions and millions of dollars from banks by pretending that they were major investors in other companies and carried on a scam for months. Um, there are, are plenty of scammers in the world to fit every niche in the ecosystem. After there was a decision made to not pay the money and the systems were secured, were you still communicating with the, with the ransomers at that point or no? So we didn't tell them that we weren't going to pay them. We are you talking to them or you're, how are you, how are you in communicating? It's, it's, 
ch- chat support on the on the, the website. Got gotcha. you. It's all written by a chat. Website. It's via chat. Yeah. Did they use um, avatars or? <laughs> they they didn't, but it was. I, I actually looked at the the, the 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 visible source code for the website. They were using a commercial um, chat engine package. Um, probably probably didn't pay for it. I'm guessing they probably didn't pay for it. <laughs> sounds, but that sounds it. <laughs> about right. Yeah. So you're chatting with them and and. Yeah, so uh, you know they they gave me assurances that they hadn't stolen any files, whatever. I'm not sure I believe them. So we we did all the cleanup, um, right? Fingers crossed. So it was, so after the initial cleanup, we can tell we've got now antivirus on all of their machines across their entire network. We can see there's no active infections. So at that point, I started looking to see if there was any um, attacked files that we had missed. So we wrote a couple of little programs that we were able to run across the network and look for files of that type. We found a couple of machines that had files on them that had been um, encrypted because, not because that machine had been, had a, a virus on it, but because those files were visible to another machine that had a virus on it. So even across the network, it was attacking files. Um, those weren't a big deal, whatever, we got those taken care of. The, the interesting coda to me was um, so as part of this, um, we also brought in a, a managed threat response um, company. So this is a company that basically comes in in these situations and they have super crazy investigative software and guys with 15 initials after their names that, you know, really are experts in this type of a field. And they just go to town on the network to make sure that these guys aren't lurking in it anywhere. I assume those guys are not a cheap date. No, no, none of this was a cheap date for for the client. That's for sure. Um, but they they definitely were not cheap, but worth it because the alternative is erase all of your computers and start from scratch everywhere, and because you don't know if they're in or not. This is like I don't know if you remember Midas Mufflers, but they had a a great commercial where the guy would say. Pay me now or pay me a whole lot later. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly what it is. Well, but um, it also goes to the price of, of breach, you know, still at this point, the price of compromise at a, at a decent sized company. What is it? It's like over three, three and a half million dollars. It's around oh, there. more. more yeah. Now. Yeah. More. yeah. I mean, I can say I don't know what the exact number is. Um, as far as I know, the total cost of the cleanup from start to end, not including production downtime um, from it was six was in the six figures. Like they, it hit six figures for them between. That's the cost a cheap date. That's that's yeah, McDonald's. That's, that's a reasonable deal compared to nine compared to nine million dollars. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. Or eighteen later on. Yeah. Yeah, or eighteen million, which they 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 said if you didn't pay within three days, it doubled to eighteen million. So they were really hustling to try and get you to to pay it and panic. But yeah, I mean, it's not you know obviously cheaper than nine million. A couple of weeks after this all happened, we still have this uh, managed threat response company kind of digging through the weeds, just making sure everything is cool. They uh, bring up uh, an alert on one of our firewalls that says that it had blocked traffic to a website. And it wasn't, it it was uh, not, it was just trash traffic. It was just a connection. Didn't make any sense. So we started looking at it and the website name was this just giant long gibberish string, but ended in a in a, a normal website name. And this server that we found that was making these requests was making 
hundreds of them a second. Hundreds of requests to different sites, slightly different sites. So it was de- like denial of service attack? It were- was data egress by DNS. Mm. Wow, so, you're going to have to explain that to me. So to, to, to speak English, um, yeah. so, so data egress or data exfiltration. No, I get um, that. So they were actually moving data through those gibberish... URLs? Yeah. So, so the thing the, with the whole extortion stealing data thing. So, if you have a company and your firewall is super locked down, but you still need to try and get data out, one of the ways that um, you can do that is by taking the data, encrypting it, or packing it into code base sixty four code, technically probably, um, but the basically just encoding it in a way that it's a little bit more portable splitting it up into thousands and thousands of, of little strings and then making a request for a website name with that string. So when you type in www.google.com, your computer talks to another computer that says, hey, what's this address? And that computer talks to another computer, talks to it, eventually gets to the computer that owns that address, says, oh, it's this number. When you make a request to a server for an address you've never been to before, that request bubbles all the way back up to that originating server. So what they're doing is they're taking this encoded data, they're making a really long name out of it, and then they're requesting that name. So when they request the name from that computer, it goes to the server. Server doesn't know it. Goes to the you know router, whatever, doesn't know it. On and on and on and up. And then eventually, their server that they own and control gets that request and now has that data. That is a really elegant way to explain that. Is that, yeah. is that as elegant as it sounds? It's... It super, I was, I was shocked. I had heard of this, but in the perspective of like stealing intellectual property uh, from multi-billion dollar organizations, not just trying to extort some smaller, you know, organization, some pretty high level um, attack mechanism to see used and, uh, the only reason that we found out is that the, the, the firewalls that we had tracked those types of requests and, and were able to block them based on their apparent nastiness. Like the digital digital David Nevin, Niven sort of Pink Panther thing happening with you there. Do you think this was like a test, a dress rehearsal before the attack on the pipeline? I think the, I'm, I'm pretty sure the pipeline was, I think it's the inverse. I think that this company was the target company, type target size of company, scale of company. And I think the pipeline attack was them tripping over themselves, tripping over their own good luck um, on the way out of the Cave of Wonders because just based on the amount of attention that it got and how quickly they folded afterwards, they obviously didn't want that. They wanted to make money, not get attention. Do you think Darkseid actually folded? No, they just became some other group. They, yeah, they, they just they break up and the, the timing seemed a little bit convenient. Of uh, you know, we're suddenly on everyone's radar. Uh, we quit. Bye. And then but right. That's interesting yeah. to me. So the col- c- colonial, I said colon, colon pipeline. <laughs> the colonial pipeline that uh, that hack was. You think perhaps not an intentional get? Almost like if you're fishing for bluefish and you hook a great white shark. You're stuck with the fish that's on your line, even though you're not equipped to handle it. Yeah, yeah, I, the, that, that's been what I suspect has happened. Before you wrap it up, I got a question. So 
And Adam. Yes. Adam B, not Adam L. Adam. Oh. Okay. Uh, cue the Jeopardy clock. Should paying a ransom be illegal? No. I don't think so. There's no, there are times when that's all you can do. We had a client that left us because we were too expensive, called us back a few months ago. They got hit. They ended up paying, they negotiated, um, ended up paying some percentage of what the original ransom was uh, because their old, their newest backups were six months old. And everything newer than that they had, uh, everything newer than that had been encrypted because they didn't have the right policy set on their secure on their um, servers. So they ended up paying the ransom to get some of their data back and didn't actually end up working out too well for them because the decryption software was so slow, it was faster to just rebuild the machine. So other than for some of the data on the servers, they just ended up rebuilding it. Well, that is one of the lessons that we've heard from a lot of people. And that is, it's not just about backup. It's about how robust is the backup. In other words, how fast can you get your systems back and up and running again? And you need to test to find that out. I, an untested backup doesn't exist. That is the truism. If you if you if you haven't tested it, it doesn't exist. But yeah, I, I think I don't think it should be illegal. There's okay. Second question. Second question. Go ahead, sorry. No, you no, got another question. Ready? This is a yes or no to. Should a ransom payment be tax deductible? No. You screwed up. <laughs> Pay for the taxes. <laughs> okay. The IRS will love you for that. Ding, ding, ding. Matter of fact, ding, they're going to send ding, you a special ding, refund. They'll send you a thank you for helping us protect I, I, our I, economic I, impact. No, that was clear as day. We got our answer. That was a no. That was not <laughs> that a was maybe. A, uh, that was a no. Uh. <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, Adam, this has been awesome, really. Uh, we could go on for hours. We probably will go on for hours. <laughs> but we've taken far too much of your time. We have lowered your digital property values, and we apologize for that. And anyway, we really thank you and so much appreciate the fact that you were uh, interested in coming on and, and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom with us. Uh, well, I really, I, I really enjoyed coming on. Um, and, and being able to kind of talk about some of these experiences. And, uh, you know, if you're a business owner, you don't have to be the example here. Pay attention. That's Pay it. Attention. You don't want to be the poster child. And no tax deduction for you. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Adam. I like that Adam a lot. There's so many atoms in so little time. You know, if you think about it, yeah. our producer, Andrew Stephen, is the man with two first names. Yes. And now you had two people, Adam and Adam, who are the men with the first first names. Oh my gosh. And you know, that reminds me of the world's oldest and shortest poem. Do you know it? Ants, Adam, Adam. Well, I believe it's actually called Fleas. Fleas, Adam, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Is it true? Do you? Anyway, he was cool. I thought that was great. How about you? Loved it. Travis? Agreed. Yeah, he seemed like a really uh, good guy and definitely knew his stuff. So. Man, that was that that DNS exfiltration thing was cool. Yeah, I need to look up more about that. That was uh, that sounded really fascinating in a terrifying way. Yeah, I'm sure Adam's <laughs> been exfiltrating all of our stuff by <laughs> DNS this whole time, and we had it's no idea. It's completely it's completely exfiltrated now. Oh man. 
So Adam, you know, I noticed that there's a few new ratings on Apple Podcasts for What the Hack with Adam Levin. I assume you just went out and bought a few uh, Apple new new phones and, and got different IP addresses and you put those there? Or was that actual? No, no. As a matter of fact, there were kind souls who actually listened kind? to my plea, what loved kind my of song. Kind soul? Your I'm song? getting thousands of email from people going, I love your song. I love it. So... <laughs> Someone did recently say, I think Adam Levin is the best thing since sliced bread, and I can't get enough of them. Did you see that review? Well, that's a whole different kind of message, oh, if man. you know what I mean. <laughs> anyway, listen. I've, watched, I've been watching Pam and Tommy. Come on, <laughs> I know. All right, so listen. If you like the show, go on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and give this podcast five stars. It really helps people find the show and... Um, and, and we want people to find the show because we're trying to get, you know, the word out that you don't have to get got. Also, thanks to the uh, scam subreddit for letting us put the word out for uh, looking for guests. Yeah, Reddit. Thank you. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media. It's produced by Andrew Stephen, the man with two first names. You can find us online at loudtreemedia.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin.